Our precious Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, the Messiah, the Son of God, our Mediator. We praise you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you saw fit to send your Son to be the sacrifice for sinners that we might look to Jesus Christ in faith and be saved and forgiven our sins and cleansed and washed and made new and given new life in Christ. And what a special fellowship we enjoy for all who are believers in Jesus Christ who gather here this morning to worship Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. In a few moments, we'll go to the Lord's table and we'll remember His death and remember His resurrection we thank you that we can gather together, open your word, and, and open our mouths, and open our hearts, and lift our voices in song, and then, and then humble ourselves before your word as we prepare to do now. And We ask God that you would teach us, and speak to us, and strengthen us. Please help us to be the people you long for us to be. Help us to be people who live in this world, in this culture, who are bright lights of Christ-likeness to this world, who would look at us and see Christ in us, see see Christ changing us and growing us in Christ-likeness. God, I pray that you would strengthen us with your wisdom. Help us to know your word. Help us to live by your word. Help us to abide in your truth, and your truth might abide in us, that we might not be led astray, that we might not depart from the truth of your word, that we might live in this world knowing that you intend for us to live according to your word so that the light might shine through us, so that people might see our good works and and glorify you. And so, Lord, help us to be your faithful children. Help us as we open our Bibles Speak to us, we pray. Help us to hear you speaking to us today from the pages of the Scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the little letter of Second John. It's almost all the way to the back of the New Testament, back from Revelation, back from Jude. Second John. In my Bible, it's just a half a page, so you might miss it. You're going fast. As you turn there, let me tell you about an event that occurred in April of 2011. In 2011, in April, there was a line of deadly tornadoes that ripped across the state of Alabama, leaving some 250 people dead in its wake. Near Wellington, Alabama, the Hardy family, in the midst of the storm, they realized that it was too late for them to go and run from the storm and seek shelter and find a permanent shelter that would protect their family. They considered trying to take shelter in a metal clubhouse, and and when they saw it, it was already tipped over and turned on its side from the high winds. And so they gathered their little family, and in desperation ran to a clump of trees and tied their children to themselves and, and hung onto these trees in the midst of this storm, hoping that they would remain safe. Family members said that while they had been scratched by flying debris and kind of... Uh, Tossed about a little bit by those winds, they they were unharmed. They escaped serious injury. Now, if you had found yourself in that stand of trees that day, could you put yourself there and could you imagine how tightly you would be clinging to those trees and clinging to your children and clinging to that that hope of, of life and hope of safety? 
There may be no distant sirens warning of an approaching storm. But we're living in the midst of cultural chaos. We're surrounded by destructive philosophies. We're uh, surrounded by destructive false teaching. Those things threaten to destroy us if if we let them, if we, if we do not cling to the truth of God's Word, if we do not cling to the Bible as our standard of conduct in this world, if we refuse to be, if we don't refuse to be changed by the world, if we let the world and, and its destructive philosophies and those cultural influences change our thinking about how God wants us to live in this culture, we do ourselves harm and we do those around us harm. We must cling to the truth of God's Word. In early September, when I was last here, we were looking at the letter of 2 John. I think I said there then, I I wasn't sure if I was going to get to finish that little letter of 2 John. Today, if I get to finish this message, we'll finish the little letter of 2 John this morning. So we were there in 2 John a few weeks ago, and we were learning that we are commanded, God's Word commands us to believe and obey God's Word. Those two things must go together for us to be God-honoring children of God, believe the Word of God, and obey the Word of God. In fact, the world knows what you're supposed to do as as believers in the Bible. You know, you say, I believe in the Bible. I I go to church and the world will watch you and say, yeah, and I know how you're supposed to live, so I'm going to watch and see if you actually live the way you say you believe. The world is watching us. And when you understand that Destructive heresy abounds. False teaching abounds all around us. And the cultural chaos that we live in abounds that that might lead us astray if we follow it. When you begin to realize how important it is that you believe and obey the Bible, you'll understand that that is an absolute necessity for your good, for your spiritual good, for the spiritual good of your family and your church and even this community in which God has placed us. Living by the truth is a necessity. And there are two reasons I gave you earlier when we studied here in 2 John. Living by the truth is a necessity for the two reasons we've noted here. Reason number one, we are all prone to drift away from the truth. I always think about my my father was an an educator. And um, when I was a student, I was a terrible student. I... I did not like school, and that's putting it kindly. And I struggled when I was in school. My dad, an educator, he I'm sure he grieved for me. I'm sure he prayed for me. He wanted me to be smart, and I was not. I struggled. And he would say, put the books under your pillow at night. And I'm not sure what he was thinking of that, because you don't get any good out of those books by osmosis, right? The, the learning doesn't seep through the pillow. It didn't for me, but, but he was like, I think he wanted me to just be devoted to studying and reading and trying to grasp the material. And so he would say, put the books under the pillow. And But we need to be... We need to be devoted to the Word of God. And we can't just put the Bible under the pillow. We've got to open the Bible. We've got to read it and say, I must obey, and then take steps to obey. 
Otherwise, you will drift from the truth. You will not. You will not gravitate toward the truth. So that's reason number one. We are all prone to drift away from the truth. That's why we need to live by the truth. Reason number two, there are deceivers who will lead you away from the truth. There will, there, there will be deceivers, there are deceivers who will lead you away from the truth if you let them. Sounds like a lot of intentionality here, doesn't it? Deliberate, deliberate devotion to God's Word. And yes, that's what's, uh, that's what's necessary for us as God's children, that we deliberately devote ourselves to obeying, to knowing the truth, to abiding in the truth, to living in the truth and obeying it. And so what we find in our passage beginning in verse 7 is a warning. There will be deceivers. There are still deceivers today spreading lies in opposition to God's Word. For that reason, John warned that those to whom he wrote this letter must watch themselves closely. Watch their lives. Watch their conduct. Watch what they, watch what they put into their hearts and minds and, and put through the the eye gate of the soul. They were to guard themselves from being deceived. There, there were then and there are now people who are deceiving others, leading them away from the truth of God's Word because they were at one time themselves deceived. And John's warning In verse 8 was that if you don't watch yourself, you too could be deceived and led away from the truth and and you could be leading others away from the truth. Verse 8 was a warning to believers. Watch yourselves that you don't lose the spiritual progress in your life. Those things that you've worked so hard for. Watch yourselves that you don't lose the spiritual progress you've worked for in God's church in your community, where you've worked so hard to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Watch yourselves that you don't lose part of your eternal reward. But in verses 9-11, through the warning is about guarding against false teachers. I want to go to verse 9. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna, I was gonna start, we're gonna start in verse 9. The verses we're gonna look at are the last few verses of this chapter, this little letter, verses 9 through 13. But let's read the whole chapter. It's a very short letter. Go with me to verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. We, we stop there for a moment. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and, and I'll remind you that I believe, and, and other Bible scholars believe, that he is writing to a church and its members. It sounds like he's writing to a person and her family, but but um, Bible scholars agree and believe that this is most likely he's writing to a church and and its members. And then at the end of this uh, last verse, the children of your elect sister greet you. I think it's a greeting from one church to another, another one group of believers to another group of believers. So uh, again, verse one, the elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who know the truth. Because the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. 
I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. And then the remainder is the passage we're looking at this morning. Verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and Talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. God's children must guard themselves against people, as John says in verse 9, who do not abide in the teaching of Christ. What they teach, going on ahead, as the Scripture says, or adding to the Gospel, is a rejection of the Gospel. It's a rejection of the good news of Jesus Christ. And by adding to the Gospel, they reject the truth of the Gospel that Jesus Christ was born as a baby, was both God and man, and died for sinners, taking the punishment that we deserve, giving eternal life to and saving all who believe in Him. And by going on ahead of the gospel, they were actually taking away from the good news. They were watering it down. They were diluting it. And that still happens today. And people who teach another gospel and go on ahead, John says, they don't abide in the teaching of Jesus. They do not have God. They are unbelievers. They don't have forgiveness of sins or eternal life. And they will lead you astray. But on the contrary, in verse 9 he says, look at verse 9 again, whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Whoever abides in the teaching, that's a key verse here, whoever abides in the teaching, how do you abide in the teaching of Jesus Christ? I would simply state it this way. Believe the Bible and take steps to obey what God's Word says. Believe and obey God's Word. Hide God's Word in your heart that you might not sin against Him, says God's Word. That's what we heard John teaching when we were in 1 John 2, back in chapter 2, or uh, uh, 1 John in chapter 2 and verses 22 through 24, where the Bible says this, and this sounds very familiar to what we, similar to what we just read. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. 
No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son, this is on the other hand, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Let the truths of Scripture remain. Cling to the truths of God's Word. Let those abide in you. You abide in the Word. Let the Word abide in you. If what you heard, reading verse 24, in the first John 2, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. You want to know that you have eternal life? Do you want to know this? Do you want to know that you are secure in Christ? Do you want confidence and joy in your walk with Christ in this world? God's Word tells you that you are eternally saved and secure, forgiven your sins through faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. But confidence, but confidence of this, confidence and joy in Jesus Christ will only be yours if you abide in Him, if you cling to the truth, if you believe the Bible and you take steps to obey. You will only know confidence in Christ, confidence that you are secure in Christ. You will only know His joy if you live by what you heard from the beginning, living by what you heard from the beginning, obeying God's Word does not keep you saved. Jesus keeps you saved. But your obedience gives you joy and gives you confidence that you are secure in Christ. You see how important this is? That you not be led astray? If you stay in the Bible and the Bible stays in you, As a believer in Jesus, you will be confident and secure. And your joy in Christ, you will know. You will know it only comes from Him. You will know that it only comes from Him living in you. Working in you. Taking His Word. Strengthening you. Giving you wisdom for each day. And so false teaching is a threat to the life of every believer False teaching is a threat to the church and it's a threat to the society that each church finds itself in because the community that the church is in is where God has God's people proclaiming the good news with their lives. And if God's people are being led astray, then the community is in harm's way. So false teaching is a threat to the life of every believer, every family of a believer, every church. And lest we think that the threat is only outside the church, take note, that would be a mistake to think that the threat to us, to to false teaching creeping into our lives, is only outside the church. That would be a mistake to think that that's the only place that we find false teaching. For example, Paul warned the church at Corinth that there were some in their midst who had no knowledge of God. In the midst of the church, no knowledge of God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 34, wake up from your drunken stupor. As is right, do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. 
There were many in Corinth who thought they had much knowledge, much understanding about the truth, but Paul warned that there were some who didn't even know God. They were unbelievers. They were being deceived. And they were deceiving others. And John is saying that the same thing here as well. That there are people who are going on ahead. They aren't abiding in the teaching of Christ. They don't even know God. In other words, they are unbelievers. And you will be led astray by them if you aren't on guard and watchful. That's why John says in verse 8, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. And then in verses 10 and 11, he says this, and and there's even more meaning from this, from understanding that, watch yourselves in verse 8. Look at verses 10 and 11 again. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the teaching of Jesus Christ, And Him crucified for sinners. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive Him into your house or give Him any greeting. For whoever greets Him takes part in His wicked works. But aren't Christians supposed to be people who love and show hospitality and show kindness to people? Aren't Christians supposed to love everybody and Believer and unbeliever alike? (laughs) Yep, we are. Yes, we are. We're to love all people. Those who would even call us their enemies. We're to love them enough to to live Christ in front of them and be willing to share Christ with them if they will listen. (laughs) But I want you to first note that in those days, in the days that this was written, there were inns. There were inns which were often places of ill repute, These were not places for the average traveler to stay. In fact, people in a church would show hospitality to traveling teachers because of this, because these inns were places of ill repute and not safe places to to abide. People in a church would be giving lodging in their homes to traveling teachers. And according to the norms of hospitality in that day, the host was not only giving the guest food and lodging, but it's like the host was putting a stamp of approval on their teaching. They were guaranteeing to the rest of the community that this guest was a trustworthy individual. Uh, These were harmful situations, if not dealt with with caution. Because when someone comes along teaching some other gospel, running on ahead of the truth, taking away from the truth, adding to and weakening the truth, people who showed them hospitality were at risk of being led astray themselves and leading others astray by by taking them in. And so John says that if any of these deceivers come along, they are not to receive them into their homes or even give them a greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works or, or takes part in his deceitful teaching. You might be thinking, so what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us today? Um, we're not putting up strangers in our homes, <laughs> traveling teachers. What does this mean for us? First, I would suggest that we need to know that this is not... This is not warning us 
that we are never to show hospitality to unbelievers. Do not read this and think, we need an isolated community of believers that doesn't have anything to do with the world. That is not what God's Word teaches us. God does not intend for you to shun from your life people who need Jesus. In fact, Jesus Himself was well known and greatly criticized for spending time with unbelievers. I would suggest that we need to guard ourselves from thinking that we don't have to love those who need Christ because we're afraid that their beliefs might creep into our lives. We need to be on guard against false teachers, but, but we need to love unbelievers enough to get involved in their lives to share Christ with them. You're to love your neighbor who needs Jesus. You're to love your coworker who doesn't understand or maybe has never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. You're to love them enough to host them for dinner or give them a ride to the doctor or sit their dog or even their cat. (laughs) Being a friend to them. Someone who's concerned about their eternal destiny. You know, it's in those everyday situations where you're showing love for an unbeliever that God will often open a door for you to show them the love of Christ, and that opens a door for you to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I think what we're learning here is that we need to be discerning about welcoming into our lives people or teachers or organizations or whatever it is, however we take it in, those who teach a false gospel. People or anything whose teaching would do you and others harm if you were to believe it. One commentator says, To some modern minds, these instructions seem unduly rigid and harsh. A great part of the problem, however, lies in the modern inclination to be highly tolerant of religious differences one must frankly face the fact that the New Testament writers did not share this spirit of tolerance. Their commitment to the truth and their consciousness of the dangers of religious error called forth many stern denunciations of false teachers. Not surprisingly, this modern age, having a diminishing sense of the dangers of heresy, has lost its convictions about the truth. He goes on to say, but the passage ought not to be taken beyond the writer's intent. He was thinking about false teachers actively engaged in disseminating error. In this activity, they are not to be helped at all. Even a word of greeting might tend to give them a sense of acceptance that could be misconstrued. The readers were to make plain from their aloofness that they in no way condone the activities of these men. The same must be true today. I can't address every every situation that you find yourself in. I can't address everything that you pick up to read or everything that you turn on to watch or every conversation that you have. That's why you need God's Word. That's why you need to abide in the truth so that the truth abides in you so that when you find false teaching, you know, you know to put it at arm's length. 
Now, the idea here in 2 John is that you must be discerning. You must be very careful about what shapes your thinking. What shapes your living. You must be very careful about the things that influence you from every direction. Now, Satan wants you to be relaxed about this. He wants you to lower your guard. And yet God's Word tells you to watch yourselves. John's warning is another reminder of the importance of believing God's truth, believing the Bible, practicing the truth, obeying the Bible, doing so in love, being guarded by the truth, guarding your your family with the truth, teaching your family the truth, being a part of what the church is all about, standing on the truth of God's Word and proclaiming it clearly and in love so that people see Christ in us and hear it in our conversations and and come to know Christ and glorify God. Don't allow yourself to be used to lead others away from the truth. And in the close of this letter, we see that it's the truth of the Bible that we share as God's children. The truth of the Bible is what we share as God's children, which leads to our shared fellowship and strengthens God's church. Look at John's closing remarks. Look at verses 12 and 13 again. They also point to the joy of Christian fellowship that is ours when we hold fast together to the truth. There will be joy in the fellowship of God's people when we cling together to the truth and stand firmly on it. Verse 12 says again, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. I think it's a greeting from one church to another, one group of believers to their brothers and sisters in Christ in another community. And we all know it's good to receive a letter. It's good to receive a phone call. But it's far better to be together in person, isn't it? It's one of those reasons that God's church gathers together on a Sunday to worship together. It's one of the things that I enjoy about the singing as we sing together. Whether you can carry a tune or not, it's the one thing, the one thing that we do together as we rejoice together in song, as we lift our voices in thanksgiving to God for who He is and what He has done. And then we open our Bibles together and we say, this is God's Word. We must live by the Word. We must be changed by the Word. We must proclaim the Word and stand on the truth and refuse to be moved by the shifting sands of culture. Because that very culture needs the good news lived out in front of them by God's people. It is how God intends for His Word to be proclaimed through His people. And how sweet the bond of fellowship that we, is that we have in Christ when we gather together to rejuvenate ourselves and to be encouraged and strengthened because we're going to spend six days apart. We may be back on Wednesday. We may be back at other times. We gather together in small groups for some fellowship. You may be together in your homes here and there. But by and large, we go our separate ways. And we need one another to be encouraged, to be strengthened for the fellowship of Christ to be 
grown in us, that we, we stand on the truth of God's Word. And no matter what happens around us in the world in which we live, we're together in this, that we represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We represent the God of the universe and the Son He sent to die for sinners. And we proclaim His name and none other. We're here to make Him known. We need each other for this. We need each other. We, and this is God intended it. We're the body of Christ. That picture in Scripture is so powerful. When you think about the body of Christ, made up of many members, all with the gifts that God has given. And we are strong together as God works through us. And we are strengthened together when we stand fast in the truth of God's Word. As we each, as John says in verse 9, abide in the teaching. There's one little phrase that I want you to take with you today. It's that one. Abide in the teaching. When we abide in the teaching, we are strengthened in our walk with Christ and we strengthen and encourage each other to remain faithful in our walk with Christ and guarded from error. 